Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. My guest today is Lawrence Larry Sprung, CFP. He's the founder and wealth advisor at Midland Financial Inc. And Larry's also the host of the Midland Money Mindset, the podcast all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. Why we're here is because one of Larry's greatest passions is raising awareness for mental health. He spent over 12 years serving on the National Board of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and sits on its financial and investment committees. Along with his wife, Denise, he's raised more than $1.7 million for that organization through the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. This fund was created at AFSP in memory of his brother-in-law. Without further ado, let's chat with Larry. Hello there. Oh, Elaine, how are you? Thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you very much for coming on and being my guest. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite good to have somebody that has um, some really interesting additional areas in their profile. We're often on this show uh, talking about things that are pretty heavy-handed and uh, we do cover suicide survivors and those left behind, but it's good to have someone who can show that there are positive things after and the fact is uh, you're very successful in the areas of money and finance and I think that's important to note as well. Uh, I'm not going to keep talking because that's not why we're here. Uh, I'm going to tell you, basically, we'd like you to jump right in and perhaps give us a little background on your brother-in-law. Yeah, so again, thanks for having me, Elaine. I'd be happy to do that. And, you know, as a result of uh, losing my brother-in-law, you know, mental health has become a very important part of who I am and uh, who my family is and, and my life and, and the business that I've created. So, you know, just to give you a little background on me and how I got here more or less is uh, my brother-in-law suffered from bipolar disorder and, uh, you know, he struggled. And, you know, during his time of struggle, he talked very often about people not understanding how he felt, not understanding what he was going through. And, you know, keep in mind, we were with him every step of the way as a family. You know, for us, there were really no regrets in any sense of the word. My wife used to go with him to his doctor's appointments. We basically gave him opportunities that if he needed some you know, rest during the day that he could come to our house and hang out with our kids or rest on the couch. His employer 
was was very open and willing to help and if he needed any time. So he had a community around him that was very supportive. Uh, unfortunately, you know, unlike or not too dissimilar to somebody who has cancer and it's ravaging their body, uh, his mental health condition was and his brain was really not working uh, as well as it should have. And ultimately, he ended up uh, dying by suicide in September of 2004. And, you know, the thing that resonated with my wife and I was really the fact that he had this feeling that nobody understood what he was going through. And, you know, we really made a pact, uh, my wife and I, that we weren't going to let him go quietly. We were going to tell his story. We weren't going to be a family that was going to say he died from a heart attack or, you know, some other, um, you know, situation that was not accurate because he died by suicide. We were going to tell his story and we were going to not let him go quietly and, and hopefully help other families and help other people and help them cure or alleviate what he felt, which was being alone and, and not and having other people that didn't understand. So one of the things that we did right away, uh, and you know, keep in mind, just some quick background on my brother-in-law, you know, we're talking about a healthy guy, 27 years old, uh, really well built, went to the gym every day, you know, from the outside looking in, you would have thought nothing was wrong. He, you know, he had everything going for him, life ahead of him, but, you know, he had this disease of his brain that really uh, consumed him. And, you know, from that point on, after his death, you know, it was something that I had never experienced, meaning I had not been closely affected by anybody who suffered from or died by suicide. And, you know, it, it, I started looking and my wife wanted to do something and I started looking around and I realized that we, we lost as many people, this was in 2004, that year or the year prior, we lost as many people to suicide as we did to breast cancer. And mm -hmm. I lost my mom to breast cancer. And when I started looking at that and I was always charitably minded, I was like, wow, you know, breast cancer gets in the billions of funding, suicide prevention, nowhere near that. You know what? I'm going to change my focus and I want to continue my charitable efforts and, and my work. I'm going to really start focusing on mental health. And my wife and I really started having a focus there. So we immediately, you know, did the normal things. We were looking for community and, and other folks that may be feeling similar to us. And we found an organization here in New York that's now, you know, across the country, across the world, actually, called the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And they were doing a walk locally here on Long Island just a few weeks after my brother-in-law's passing. And we decided to take part in that walk. We raised, you know, $10,000, $15,000 or something like that, took part in the walk. And we were really overwhelmed because there were probably five, six, seven hundred 700 people that showed up for this walk. And, you know, we were like, wow, you know, my brother-in-law felt alone. We don't feel alone. There are all these people that mm -hmm you know, are not alone. So that really got us involved in the, with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And then subsequent to that, you know, we wanted to do more. About a year later, we were approached by my brother-in-law's company and they said, you know what, we really want to do something too. And we started a golf outing. 
And essentially what we did, because we didn't want to start our own nonprofit, you know, my view is there's a lot of great causes out there. There are a lot of nonprofits and the world didn't need another one that was kind of had their own mission. We really were aligned with what the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention was doing. So we created a memorial fund there in my brother-in-law's name. And we started this golf outing and it lasted about 10 years. And we ended up shifting it uh, to now where uh, about nine years into the golf outing, an author, a romance author, uh, approached my wife and said, you know, I'm writing a book in the month of May and I'd like to donate a portion of the book proceeds to your brother's memorial fund for Mental Health Awareness Month. Would you be open to doing that? We're like, wow, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so fast forward to this year, we had about 35, 40 authors that partook in that uh, effort, and we've raised in excess of $35,000 this year. Uh, and collectively, since 2004, when we started raising money in his name, uh, through this year, we've raised in excess of $1.7 million for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which has been put to use over the years for some uh, very good uh, causes. More importantly than that, and, and I will say this, as far as that money that's been raised, that was not my wife and I. We contributed to that. We did donate our own personal monies there, but we would not have been able to do that without the support and help of my brother-in-law's former company and everything that they did for those 10 years of the golf outing. And now this romance author community has really you know, taken it you know, to another level in terms of what they're doing on, on, on an annual basis in May. And on occasion, you know, we have authors that reach out because they're writing a book or a collection of stories and they'd like to donate money. So without all these this community that we have around us, we would never have been able to do that. Uh, but one thing I talk about often is because my wife and I have been so proactive and so outspoken about mental health and suicide prevention, People are now, you know, over the last many years, feel comfortable approaching us about their own situations or asking for advice, guidance, et cetera. And we're not mental health professionals. You know, we can only share our own experiences and our own knowledge. We can't do anything medically. But I will tell you, one of the most rewarding things that have has come from our work in this space has been the fact that we have become this resource and we know for a fact that we've helped people and we've helped them either save themselves or a loved one's life. And, you know, I say it all the time. I say the 1.7 million that we've raised and continue to raise more is fantastic. But you know what? I give that all away to save the life or the life or lives that we've saved and continue to save. That's far more important to us. And, you know, the feedback that we've gotten is people are feel you know, people are feeling more comfortable now having conversations. And I think, you know, with, you know, a podcast like yours, Elaine, and, and me coming out telling my story and your guests telling their story, you know, we're all basically chipping away at that wall that was put up that my brother-in-law felt in front of him in terms of people not understanding what he was going through and not understanding mental health and what suicide's all about. So the more conversations we have about this, the more open we are, it just helps chip away and break down that wall. And I, I will tell you that I know for a fact, you know, partially because of us and partially because of you, partially because some of the celebrities and some of the athletes 
athletes and all the notoriety and talk about this is really starting to, you know, make a dent in that wall. We haven't knocked it down yet. We still have a long way to go. But, you know, I can tell between 2004 and where we are today in 2022, the conversation's much different. People feel more comfortable having these conversations, being open and honest. And as long as we continue to do that, I, I think we're on the right path. And, you know, I, I think we'll eventually knock down the wall completely, which is the, you know, the ultimate goal. Uh, absolutely. I, I'm sitting here so quiet because you are, you are so preaching to the choir and everything you said, okay, let, let's not, um, I don't want to put the focus on the money because I totally get where, where you're coming from. And I agree with you. Even saving one life is so incredibly important. But let's not lose sight of the fact that that 1.7 million has been able to help a lot of people. Absolutely. And no doubt. More to the point, uh, you and your wife being so proactive back in 2004 really was not the norm. And as much as you had five or 600 people in your area, I can tell you that it was much more hidden up here. It's only been even the past 10 years that people who have lost young people to suicide, some of them are actually telling the story. And that was never the case because suicide and all it entails is so enrobed in shame, blame, and guilt that many families just hid it and, and did nothing with it because they, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what they could say without, in their minds, perhaps tarnishing their loved one or tarnishing someone else that was still living with mental illness. And I love the fact that since uh, 2018, uh, when uh, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain left us so abruptly in the space of uh, basically a week, I think it was, or if not two, uh, it has become uh, much more in the forefront. COVID has allowed us or given us uh, an additional permission to acknowledge all the things that we as humans have to go through. This past two years of everyone being basically held prisoner in their own home has brought a lot to light and has really, you know, taken, taken mental health and, and pushed it right in front of us all. We can no longer sit back quietly. We, we have to step up and, and I'm, I'm, so, I'm so in awe of you and your wife and all the people that, that got on board for you and, and uh, Keith's company. I mean, that's incredible, but it took you and your wife to get that ball rolling and to be proactive like that, to put the story out there. That, is, that was never the norm. And, and I, I just want to say thank you from yeah. my perspective yeah, because you're very welcome. this is why I do this podcast. Sure. I want us to be able to actually talk to elementary school children 
about those odd feelings that we sometimes have. Because if you talk to even little kids, there are some very dark thoughts that travel through our minds. They aren't necessarily true. And those children aren't necessarily at risk for poor mental health. It's just the way the brain works. Things happen. So, Life happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I, yeah, I mean, I will say, if your listeners aren't familiar, uh, and this is one of the reasons why we've been so supportive of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, you know, if they go to AFSP, Adam Frank, Sam Paul org, um, there are a ton of resources for all folks, you know, whether you are somebody who, you know, struggles, whether you're somebody who attempted, whether you're a survivor, Wherever you fall in that perspective or that spectrum, we have materials that are helpful to you or helpful to you to help a family member or a friend. Uh, there are a lot of resources there, and, and those range from the youngest of children all the way up to the issue that we have with seniors today, mm -hmm. right? There is this disease and this condition, however you want to term it, whatever medical terms you want to assign to it, it's agnostic to age, it's agnostic to socioeconomics. Everybody can be affected. Obviously, there are certain areas that tend to be affected more, et cetera. I'm not here to you know debate that, but yeah. basically, no matter who you are, wherever you are, you can be affected by this. And you know, you've seen, you know, you've seen certain countries, for example, that are starting to acknowledge this on a you know a higher level. You know, you had in in England, you have now a, a ministry of loneliness, a minister yes. of loneliness, to start addressing mental health. And yeah. you know, I think you're right. The the pandemic has really brought this to the forefront uh, a little bit more in the conversation. Um, but that that's the hope. I you know, the more we have these conversations, the more we normalize it, and we don't you know shame people for having these conversations, yeah. the better off we're going to be as people and the better off we're going to be, as, as, you know, as a world, because we're going to be able to allow people to find the the care that they need. And, you know, I'll just share one thing with you. I remember, you know, vividly, as I mentioned before, my mom died from breast cancer, right, uh, from cancer. And when, when she was first diagnosed, she had a couple of friends that kind of disassociated with her um, because she was diagnosed in like the early 80s or so uh, when they didn't know as much about cancer as they yeah. as they do now right and you know I don't know what the the reason was maybe they thought it was contagious maybe they didn't want to be around it I, I don't know but my point is we have some similarities to where we are on the continuum of mental health and suicide prevention if you look at how things had ramped up with regard to cancer in terms of treatment and the way people acknowledged and, and looked at that you know it's very similar and we're much earlier on in the mental health situation and suicide prevention at this point because the conversations just started versus uh you know cancer for example yeah and Traditionally, over, over the centuries, um, humans back away from what they fear, from what they don't know. And, and that is very, very much evident when people become ill. Um, even long-term hospitalization can be a trigger for some people in that they, they can't handle going to consistently visit someone or going to, because 
either they don't know what to say or they don't know what not to say and they're just so uncomfortable people are not we're not yet open enough to ask people mm-hmm. ask you know do do you want people to come visit you do you you know is there some way i can help you are you feeling down are you feeling lonely these are questions that traditionally we don't pose you know we throw out how are you and I, I guarantee you most people don't listen to the answer well you really don't most people say that without really listening for the answer or really caring what the answer is right it's just more like a commonplace courtesy to say that and you know just to make them feel yeah. better but you know if there is a concern there you really have to listen is that something you know that and if you don't want to know the answer then don't ask that don't question. Ask question you know Absolutely. don't ask that question you know but so i think you have be- to be very careful about that yeah yeah it's become to me that how are you's become like at you or god bless you it it's just a it's an automatic uh, response to seeing someone or you know connecting with someone even online and the fact is it's not a it's not a specific enough question i think yeah so being, i ask people something differently and if i could share for a moment yes, rather than please. saying how are you because you know again you don't know where that's going to go right you could go for positive it could go for a negative if they're willing to share right if you don't want to go to the negative side and you want to go to the positive side only, then here's here's your new greeting to people. Instead of saying, how are you? Say, tell me something good. And then yeah. and then you get people in the right frame of mind because now they're not, you know, they're not going to tell you something bad because you asked to hear something good. And now you got their brain thinking in a positive direction. And then hopefully you could build on that. And and at least if they say they're struggling or having a, a bad day or what have you, you could say, Well, you just told me something good. Let's build off that. What can you do to improve that and make that even better and continue that goodness that you just shared and, and continue it for the rest of the day, rest of the week, rest of the month. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really love that. Yeah. Tell me something good. That's excellent. The other thing that that I find is really important for people is, you know what, when you walk by someone, just say hello. Mm -hmm. They may not have spoken to another human that day. You may be the only person they get to interact with. And hello can be such a gift. And it's a gift for you, too. Oh, yeah. We're so used to people just passing us like ships in the night. Um, Listen, I go to. I, I was just in Disney World a few weeks ago, right? And I, I don't care who you are, whether you're you're an executive walking through the park or you're somebody cleaning the table. You know, my kids, my wife, we all say thank you, hey, hello. And you know, sometimes, as you know, you were alluding to when you say that thank you or hello, even even though they're not expecting it, because most people don't do it. It's almost like oh, you know, like it takes them aback because. You know they're in the background and you know they're just kind of there and most people aren't acknowledging them it's it's not really a big deal to say hey how you doing how are you good to see you you know or some or thank you for doing that thank or, you. you know it's yeah. such an easy thing and it you know it makes people feel valued and that people are actually seeing them rather than you know just being somebody behind the scenes which i think is is very helpful for Absolutely. as you said for me and for them and you oh, know yeah. it just elevates everything yeah, and you know, thank you doesn't cost you anything. No, no. You know, the person that comes and cleans your table, the person that that you know empties the garbage or or does whatever, a, a thank you, 
it's acknowledging that they're doing something that's useful. Agreed. You know, and and that right away you're you're putting you're putting a drop in the bucket of of positivity for them for that day. You're you know it's it's like giving people that 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 little bit of of oomph to get mm-hmm. through the day. And I think it's it's really important. It, it used to drive my husband crazy because it didn't matter where we were on a beach in Florida or you know up somewhere in the mountains. If I see somebody, doesn't matter if they got earbuds or whatever, I'll say hello. <laughs> it's just right. who I am. Mm-hmm. And it it never before occurred to me that this could be a difference for someone. And not doing it could be me being derelict in my duty as a human to mm-hmm. touch other humans. Yeah, if I can for a minute to, to your point right there, and I I'm I'm gonna I might botch this up a little bit, but you'll you'll get the gist of it. There was a story that was put out probably a year or two ago at this point, where a gentleman basically wrote in like an open letter to the local newspaper, and he basically said that he was he went to a pharmacy because he was trying to get some prescriptions filled, and he was about to take a trip. And there was some problem at the pharmacy and he was running really late to get his either bus or train. And he was almost at a point of no return in terms of like, if I don't get this medication and I don't get on this bus or this, this train, you know, he was seriously considering ending his life. And there was a couple seeing him go through this struggle of getting the medication, and he, which he finally ended up doing. And then they saw him struggling with whether he was going to make this train or bus. I don't recall what it was. And they said to him, they said, listen, I see you're struggling. What do, what do you need to do? And they're like, well, you need to get to this train or bus, my method of transportation for this trip. But I, I have no way of getting there. And at this point, the way that I would get there, it's probably going to be too late. And they said, listen, it's not going to be too late. Let's let's do this. And uh, they basically took him, dropped him off. He was able to make the trip. And the, the, the open letter was basically saying, you know, these were people I didn't know. They recognized that I was having an issue. And obviously, I was struggling, you know, um, maybe some people unlike me, wouldn't have struggled with that situation and they would have been able to deal with it. But I, I don't, my, my mental state is not in that same capacity that somebody else may be. And these people recognized it. And if it wasn't for them, I may not be here today writing this letter. And I am so grateful. I don't even know who they are, but a big hearty thank you goes to them. And, you know, to your point, they, they could have very easily said, all right, we're done what we're doing, leave the store and be done. And who knows what would have happened with this gentleman. Uh, but instead, you know, instead of being a bystander, they decided to be an upstander and, and get involved and probably save this guy's life in the end. And, uh, you know, whether they know it or not, hopefully they saw the article somewhere along the line, but they, they saved a life that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a wonderful story. I really do appreciate that. So here we are, okay, all these years later, all this money brought in for suicide prevention. You have children of your own. This has obviously colored how you relate to your kids as well. Yeah, do you have have, um, maybe just a, a little 
tidbit or two for parents of of children who maybe lost someone and aren't sure what to do or have someone that struggles with mental health and aren't sure how to approach it with their kids. Mm -hmm. What are maybe two quick suggestions that you can make for them to maybe ease into a conversation? Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I, I think the easiest thing is to tell you what we've done, right? And I, you know, again, I'm not a medical practitioner, but we did read up on things. So my oldest son was 18 months when he lost his uncle. My youngest son never met his uncle. Okay. So, you know, obviously, you know, when you're 18 months old or two years or three years, you know, saying that somebody died by suicide is probably not the appropriate thing to do. Yeah. But at the same time, we didn't want it to be this hidden, you know, thing within our family. So from a very early age with our kids, we talked to them about uh, their uncle, Uncle Keithy died from a disease of the brain. and. That was really how we talked about him in that regard. And then as they got older, they started asking some more questions uh, and we had more age appropriate discussions with them until, you know, and as they were growing up while we were having these golf outings, my kids were actively involved selling raffle tickets at the golf outing. So they knew what was going on. They were ingrained in it. They were helping us fundraise and they were doing things for us. So you have to have the conversation you have to start it at their level and if it's a disease of the brain i think that that's a good starting point and then work up the conversation that it's you know age appropriate and you know one of the just to give you an outcome of being open and honest you know one of the things that has come out of it is my kids are very uh in touch with what their mental health is and if they're having an issue they'll voice their concerns to us um, you know, they're not adverse to asking for help if they need it. And I think even, you know, the greater thing that warms my heart is, and my wife's heart is, they've seen and had friends that have struggled and they identify it and they'll see, and they'll be the ones that'll call, hey, everything okay? Is there anything I can do? My older son stayed on the phone with a gal till, you know, two o'clock in the morning because she was struggling and her parents wouldn't have a conversation with her. She, they wouldn't even talk about it. They, she struggled for years and they blow her off. My son identified that and probably, you know, helped her get through that evening. Um, but that's how you, that's how we bring up the next generation, in my opinion, is by normalizing the conversation from when they're younger so that they feel comfortable enough to seek help if they need it or want it and be able to identify and help others and you know again it's got to start at something that's age appropriate and then you know you can build on that as they get older you know and and i think every kid's different i don't think you could say at age yeah. 10 this is the appropriate conversation age 15 this is the appropriate conversation i think it's age dependent it's dependent upon the maturity of your kids you have to know that and then you know change the conversation and you know how you're going to present that to them based upon where you think they are on that uh you know that spectrum if you will absolutely thank you uh could could not have have answered better if we'd scripted it thank you so much that is really, really important. It's making sure that things are age appropriate, but that you open the door to conversation because we can't change things we know nothing about. 
we, we can't make the connection for children if they don't already know that there's a possibility that something could be a little off. We're also not going to be able to normalize the conversation in the future if we don't educate and, you know, impart this upon our young folk. You know, it's hard enough for us as as adults to start yeah. changing our mindset and shifting if we start raising kids in a way that they feel comfortable having these conversations yeah. it's just going to you know amplify that the ability to have those conversations lower the stigma and make everybody feel more comfortable about having those those conversations absolutely i thank you so much larry for coming on as my guest it was uh, really enlightening. I believe everybody is going to be able to take away some wonderful nuggets from today. I am going to make sure that through Larry, we have all the information for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention on Larry's page, as well as on our larger page that has a roster of uh, prevention and suicide hotlines around the world. Uh, we'll also make sure that um, we have the notation there in memoriam uh, for the Keith Milano Foundation, or uh, excuse me, memorial. And uh, if there's anything else that you would like on that page that you'd like to share with the audience, we will make sure it's there. You'll be able to contact Larry because his email, his information, his websites, etc., will all be on the page. Again, I thank you so much for joining me today. I want to say to everybody, make the most of your today every day, and we will definitely see you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.